Shout out to all the moms with teenage sons. Have you ever been cleaning their room and smelled a smelly, smelly smell that was smelly? Let's talk about it. This podcast contains some adult language, graphic descriptions of crime scenes, sexual assault, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. into a case today that's super sad on a few different levels. Um, We're going to be discussing the murder of Madeline Maddie Clifton. So on November 3rd, 1998, in the Jacksonville, Florida neighborhood of Lakewood, it was like any other day for eight-year-old Maddie Clifton. After school, she came home and practiced piano for around an hour. She was extremely gifted in music, but enjoyed sports as well, and her favorites were basketball and football. After she finished practicing piano, she headed outside because it was daylight and she wanted to make the most of it. Maddie's mom, Sheila, was starting dinner while Maddie was outside hitting golf balls, which was a new hobby for her. And uh, Sheila said that she would come back and grab another handful of golf balls, and then she'd head back outside. So... Throughout the evening, you know, Maddie was there, and Sheila knew everything was fine because she'd come back and get more golf balls. Sheila looked at the oven clock and saw that it was 6.20 p.m., and she thought that Maddie would be home any second. She stepped outside and called for Maddie, but she didn't get a response, and within the hour, the entire neighborhood had come together to search for Maddie. What went from playing outside had turned into every parent's worst nightmare. That's something that you just don't want to hear. No. I don't care who you are. That's just a terrible thing. Right. And if she was in uh, elementary school, it's safe to say she got out of school probably around 3.30. She may have made it home probably 4, depending on the bus run. But, you know, I'd say 4 maybe at the latest. And then she practiced piano for an hour, so that puts us around 5 o'clock. And if it was 6.20 when Sheila went outside to start looking for her, she'd been outside for roughly an hour and a half playing, which is, I guess, typical day for an elementary school kid. Oh, yeah. I played outside all the time. Oh, yeah. There were times my parents put me and my sister to bed dirty because they couldn't even get us in the bathtub. We played so hard and we were just (laughs) exhausted. Oh, yeah. My parents were always like, you know... Just make sure you come home when it gets dark. Right. Be home for dinner. You know, it was always, that's how it used to be. Yeah. And hundreds of volunteers helped search for Maddie, hoping to bring her home. And kind of jumping forward, the first seven days, so she had been missing for seven days at this point. Um, the first seven days of her disappearance were described as a circus 
There were nonstop search parties, police, news reporters, and missing person flyers had went up everywhere, and everyone was set on finding Maddie alive. And unfortunately, if you watch any sort of, like, cop show or something like that, you know that when someone's been missing for over 48 hours, it's finding them alive drops down to 50%. Right. So that's pretty hard to say that she could be alive after seven days. Yeah, exactly. But on November 10th, 1998, Maddie's parents had finished taping an interview with a national news program, hoping it would result in information on her disappearance. Simultaneously, Missy Phillips ran across the street to speak with a police officer. Missy had led the officer to her 14-year-old son's Joshua Earl Patrick Phillips' bedroom. Missy was cleaning her son's room when she noticed his waterbed was leaking onto the floor. Missy checked the bed when she found the source of said leak. And this is where things get pretty terrible. Yes. The leak turned out to be Maddie's body, which was entombed inside the frame. When police arrived, they saw two small feet sticking out of the bed with white socks on them. Maddie's body was partially clothed and she had been bludgeoned to death with a baseball bat and stabbed multiple times. Missy had been a part of the search parties, unaware Maddie's body was so close. Police drove to Josh's middle school to arrest him for the murder of Maddie Clifton. I can only imagine the community being rocked by the disappearance of Maddie. Everyone's out searching for her. And even this woman is out searching for her, helping, doing her part. And maybe she was just going in to clean her son's room because, yeah, maybe she's trying to get her mind off things. And I'm sure in that moment she's thankful that her child, her own child is home, safe. Right, well. yeah. And like I said at the beginning of the episode... Teenage boys, boys in general, stink. Oh, yes. They just stinky. And so I'm sure it was nothing out of the ordinary to go in her son's room and find something stinky. But I could only imagine how she felt knowing that the little girl's body was in her son's bedroom this entire time. At least for the last seven days. She'd probably been there. And you gotta think, I mean, she's probably been out searching for who knows how many hours, Mm -hmm. and then only to feel that devastating feeling that she was pretty much right under her nose. Oh, exactly. And then Maddie's family, for them to be just in the same neighborhood, and they had no idea she was so close, and they've been out looking everywhere when she was right there. But before we jump into all that, we want to cover some background on um, Josh Phillips and his family. So Josh and his family had moved into the neighborhood only 18 months earlier, so a year and a half prior to Maddie's disappearance. The family of three included the mother, Missy, Josh, and his father, Steve. And I'm going to go ahead and just throw this out there because it's going to get confusing later. Both Josh and Maddie's father's names are Steve. So we will just try to clarify any instances in which they're both named in the same, 
you know, uh, statements or things like that so no one gets confused. Um, the Phillips family wasn't very social with their neighbors, but they didn't cause any problems either. So they just kind of flew under the radar and kept to themselves. Which isn't unusual. I mean... Right, right. I mean, I know me. We grew up in the backwoods of a holler. My neighbors was cows. <laughs> we didn't really have nobody right there on top of us. Like, if you would transplant us from that kind of like living setting to a neighborhood where houses are on top of each other, I don't know that we would be the most social because that's just not what we're used to. Right. Yeah, see, I grew up in a little, I mean, neighborhood, and houses weren't too close to each other, but it was close enough that my parents and myself did befriend and be friendly with some of the neighbors, so, right. it, you know, but still, you still had those neighbors that weren't very social, and that was fine. I mean, it, so it didn't, like, cause any suspicion or anything, you know? Yeah, and I mean, it all boils down to the personalities in that house, too. Because I've known people that have been the sweetest people, but if you get them around larger groups of people, they're not they're not the one that's the social butterfly bouncing from person to person talking to them. They seem like they're stuck up or snooty or something because they'll be the person in the corner that doesn't really want to talk. But if you get them along one-on-one, they will not shut the hell up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so... The fact that they kind of kept to themselves is not too suspicious. However, inside the Phillips home, there were problems. The family moved frequently because Steve had issues maintaining steady employment due to his excessive drinking and abusive nature. Both Josh and Missy were terrified of Steve, and they did the best they could to just simply stay out of his way. Josh was actually banned from playing with Maddie... And this wasn't just because of the age difference. He was 14, she was 8, so that's six-year difference. It wasn't just because of that. But because a month earlier, here's where I'll, I'll clarify, Sheila and her husband, Steve, um, had noticed that Josh had come into their other daughter, Jessie. He had come into her room while no one was home when they found him there. So they thought Josh was already kind of odd and off-putting because he pretty much pulled a and e and was in Jesse's room. And now, was Jesse there? Or was no, nobody was there. Nobody was yeah. there. Yeah, that's a little weird. Yeah, I mean, he, was, he was uninvited. He just came in, and when they got home, they found him there. Ooh. It's already kind of skeevy. It's a little weird, yeah. <laughs> so... Just a trigger warning. Here's where we're going to kind of get into more of the murder of Maddie, which is why this is why this case makes me so sad. Like, one, hearing Josh's home life makes me sad. And I know we've discussed other murderers and serial killers. You know, a lot of them have some kind of troubled past or rough childhood. And I feel like Josh is definitely ticking the boxes for that. Um, you know, in one part it seems like his mom is, you know, she's probably a very loving person. And then he's got a dad who is just always spaced out because he's drunk and he's abusive. And that makes my heart sad. 
Yeah, because no kid should have to go through that. No. No matter the age. No, they they should, you know, being at school is rough, and uh, you can get teased and bullied there, but when you come home, you should be able to come home to a safe place to parents or caregivers that love you and give you a safe space. And it seems like, you know, Missy was probably trying to do that for the both of them when Steve was just incapable or unwilling to do that. But the murder also makes me really sad because, well, we'll get into that. (laughs) So Josh told police that Maddie had come over to play baseball on November 3rd, 1998, when he accidentally hit Maddie in the eye with a baseball. Josh said when Maddie wouldn't stop crying, he dragged her into his house, afraid that his father would find out he was playing with someone while his parents weren't home. He said that Maddie's clothes fell off as he dragged her into his room. This is where Josh hit her again with the baseball bat to stop her from screaming. Maddie had become unresponsive. He had then stuffed her unconscious body under the base of his bed. His father had come home and a conversation ensued before Josh returned to his bedroom where he found Maddie was still alive, moaning under his bed. He removed the mattress, cut her throat, and stabbed her in the chest seven times with a knife. Which is super excessive. It's super excessive, but you also have to keep him... This is a 14-year-old kid. And it all started with an accident. And And he was afraid of the consequences that he would get, probably more so from his father than his mother. Because he wasn't supposed to be playing with other kids while they weren't home. And, like I said, it all started with an accident. And it kind of makes you wonder, like, was this a monkey see, monkey do kind of situation? Because, you know, kids are very observant. They're absorbing what you're doing. They're watching you do all these things. They're learning how you react to certain situations. So did he react because that's what he's seen his father react? And he's just copying what his father would have done because his father was abusive? Right. Maybe maybe he'd seen enough abuse to where if someone's not complying or doing what you want, you just beat the brakes off of them. To get, to get them to, get him to stop. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of me is like, he's only 14. He knows that he'll probably get beat when he gets home, if they found out. And then there's that panic of, oh my God, what do I do? And so that's just why this whole thing makes me so sad. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, it did. It just start out as an accident, and he probably went into panic mode, not knowing what to do yeah and then you know why he would have brought her to his house i don't know i mean i know from what we just covered it seems like the cliftons weren't the biggest fans of josh anyway since he was you know eight years older than their youngest daughter and he they you know he had broken in to the oldest daughter's home so maybe he didn't feel comfortable saying hey maddie and i were playing this is what happened it was an accident 
Because maybe they wouldn't think it was an accident. And think that he did it on purpose. Right. And then the other part is, you know, maybe that's why he drug her back to his house. Was to kind of keep it a secret from the Cliftons that he was playing with her. And that he had actually hurt her by accident in the process. And then the other part is, like I said, the consequences that he would face from his father from not listening to you don't play with other people while we're not home and it had to be a secret which I don't know if you have that much experience with waterbeds but they're not fun my grandparents had a waterbed growing up my parents had one yeah and that for, I mean for those of you who aren't familiar you just need to google like uh, waterbed like construction because basically all it is it's a wooden frame and the top has a lip that goes around it, and then you've just got this miserable, like, latex rubber bag that <laughs> you fill with water, and it sets inside the top of the frame. And I don't know if you've ever tried to move something that's, you know, bigger than you, filled with water. That's kind of difficult. Yeah. I mean, there's store. My grandparents had one that had storage underneath. Like, there was a door at the foot of the bed that mm-hmm. you could open. And, because they always have, my grandma had creepy porcelain dolls. Ooh. That's where she'd keep her creepy porcelain dolls. But, I mean, they also had drawers on the side for, like, socks, underwear, whatever. Yeah, my parents had the drawers on the side is how that bed was set up. Yeah. So, I mean, moving this mattress wouldn't have been easy. And, I mean, the amount of effort and work that would have to go into him, you know, moving the mattress while also moving her body into the frame just to cover it. That's some engineering involved in making that happen. Work, yeah. Not to mention the fact that he slept there with her underneath of him (gasps) for seven days. Yes, he... He did. Now, I didn't see exactly, like, how much time had passed between when he initially stuffed her into the frame of the bed and when he actually came back, heard her moaning, cut her throat, and then stabbed her. I'm not sure how that worked. But that also leads me to think, like... If her face would have been covered by this mattress, she would have suffocated. Oh, yeah. So, part of me thinks that maybe there wasn't that much time that had passed between when he initially put her in there and then he cut her throat because she would have suffocated and there would have been no need for him to do the overkill of stabbing and cutting her throat. So, I imagine there must have not been that much time that passed between... Placing her there and then stabbing her because she could have just been unconscious. But I'm sure if you start suffocating or something like that, you wake up. And maybe that's what made her start making the moaning sounds because she was trying to not suffocate. It's very possible. Um, But Josh himself actually even helped participate in the community searches. And he constantly denied the fact that her body was uh, buried in his bed. Which, I don't... Just the fact that that's thrown in there, I don't know why that would have come up. Like, 
Mr. Phillips, have you seen Maddie Clifton? For those of you who can't see it, I always forget that we're doing a podcast. So I'm holding an imaginary <laughs> mic to my face. Not that it's going to give you any context, but I'm holding an imaginary mic like I'm an interviewer. So Mr. Phillips, have you seen Maddie? And then you just cut to him and he's like, she's not under my bed. So I don't know how that would have come up. Um, or maybe this was something that came up after the fact. Well, it could have just been a simple question of, have you seen her? And then him just saying, no, I haven't. You know? Right. Yeah. And he's denying to himself that he has. That could, yeah, that could definitely be it, too. But like Kayla said, he slept on the waterbed for seven nights as her body just kind of decayed and slowly wasted away. Um... So, on November 19th, 1998, a grand jury found Josh Phillips guilty of first-degree murder, and he was going to be tried as an adult, and Maddie's story became relevant to national news. Because of the quote-unquote fame the case had acquired, the trial was moved out of Jacksonville. No witnesses were called by his attorney, leading him to his ultimate demise, spending his life behind bars. He would later get the same punishment at a new sentencing in 2017 when the U.S. Supreme Court ruled it unconstitutional to automatically sentence youthful offenders to life, which I remember when that came out, and part of it blew my mind because one of the big arguments was you had youth offenders that were sentenced to life, and the big question was, is that right? Is that wrong? Is it fair? And they even got into the whole psychology of it. Like, is their brain, like, even fully developed to understand their actions and the consequences that may follow? That was the big argument with that. And I think I remember, um, maybe in high school, in my psychology class or something, my teacher telling me that, you know, our brains are technically not fully developed until we're, like, 21 and for men it's even older mm-hmm. you know so I can see where this even became a thing he was 14 when he was tried for this he had no idea what was going on yeah and I mean you can make that argument because when we look at cases of adult offenders and murders they always break it down you know first degree second degree um, was it self defense you know, all these different categories that of any, you know, given murder can fall under. And I don't feel, and this is, you know, if the Clifton family is listening to this, I personally do not feel that this was a premeditated murder. No, it was most definitely an accident where he just panicked because he didn't know what else to do. It was almost like he didn't know who to turn to because of how his father was and the fact that the Clifton family was uneasy with him. Exactly. So I don't, I personally don't feel that this would warrant a first degree murder like life in prison sentencing. That's just my personal opinion. I'm not an attorney. I do not know law. So let me just make that known. Um, Like I've told you guys in several episodes, me and Kayla are basically social workers. We don't 
we don't do criminal law, we don't do litigation, like this is not offering you any legal advice or expertise. Um, but I mean, I think the fact that they did try him as an adult and they gave him life in prison not once but twice, I feel like that's just a failure on our parts. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know what Florida law is, but I think here in West Virginia, you have to be, I think it's 16 to be tried as an adult. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe their laws are a bit different, because every state is different in what age they can be tried as an adult. So, Right, and I mean, I know here in West Virginia, I had actually went to the courthouse on it was like a little field trip and we basically got to see a judge sentence people and afterwards he told us the two things that West Virginia is really good at is sexual assault cases and the next thing he said is what baffled me and blew my mind is like the worst crime in West Virginia that you could commit is armed robbery because straight from the get, you're going to get, you know, 38 years, bare minimum. And I'm like, it's sad that we're so good. Like, it's not sad that we're good at sexual assault charges. That's fantastic. But the fact that the a, a judge told us the worst thing you can do in West Virginia is, like, armed robbery. That's pitiful. That's really bad. Yeah. What is it saying for the people that commit murders and, I mean, even sexual assault? We might be good at it, but if the worst thing you could do is take a gun into McDonald's and get some nuggets, if that's the worst thing, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's that's sad. I just think that, I don't know, to me, I think it's a failure on the systems part to even think that a life sentence for someone who clearly committed, you know, a murder out of, I think it was just panic. And it all started from, I know we've said it a million times this episode, it all started with an accident. And I felt, I agree with you, I don't think he had anywhere to turn, anyone to go to. And that's what unfortunately led to Maddie's death. I mean, yeah, should he have suffered some sort of consequences? Sure. Oh, yeah, I'm not saying, <clears throat> don't don't get it twisted. I'm not saying at all that he should get off scot-free. He shouldn't. I don't, I don't even agree with him being sent to, like, juvie till he's 18. I, I mean, I definitely think he should do some time in the system. But I don't think that... It should have been life. Yeah. I don't think a life imprisonment is the answer. Uh, Josh's mom, Missy, tried to withdraw from society as best she could. She split her time between Jacksonville and North Central Florida, hoping that she could reinvent herself. For some reason, she thought if she rode her bicycle places, people wouldn't put the face with the bike rider and therefore she'd go unnoticed. But however, she was actually identified at a church where it says she was trying to seek some peace, some solace, you know, just to get away from everybody. But then it wasn't a negative interaction that she had with people. And actually, the oldest daughter, Jessie Clifton, 
had offered her warmth and she said, quote, she, speaking about Missy, was such a sweet and kind person and she didn't deserve what happened. I feel like she feels everyone was against her. She found Maddie and I cannot even imagine that and then to realize what her son had did. That is a lot for one person to handle. No kidding. And then the fact that you are trying to move on with your life and it's like people keep bringing it up in your face like oh your son's mm-hmm. the one that killed that girl and I feel like unfairly a lot of blame is put on parents yeah and I mean I think at the end of the day I know in southern West Virginia in particularly it's a lot of well my kid would never do that I'm gonna stand with my kid to the end that kind of mentality but I think whether right or wrong this is all around a tragic situation. It's tragic because the Cliftons lost Maddie, but it's also tragic for the Phillips because they lost their their child too. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I don't think that it would be fair to place blame on Missy as if there was some kind of flaw or fault in her parenting. Um... But then again, you're going to hear the argument of, well, she should have left the husband. She should have got out of the house. She should have, you know, done better for her son. But then you have to realize, you know, when you're in that type of abusive, toxic relationship, it could be very scary and very difficult to leave the situation because you don't know if that person's going to flip out and, you know, try to hurt you, follow you, stalk you, make your life hell. And so you internalize that being here and dealing with it is better yeah and let's not forget like if anybody knows anything about domestic violence it is the moment you decide to leave is the moment your life is at greatest risk that is the moment where if you were to die in that relationship odds are it would happen then and sometimes you know, I couldn't imagine having to try to bear that weight and you have a kid. Because I know there are people that are like, you know, he's a little rough around the edges, but I think once we start a family, everything's going to get better. And that mentality is what does ultimately end up getting, you know, children killed, you know, spouses killed. It's, I just, I don't know. I don't want to speculate. It's like a double-edged sword, almost. Yeah. Like, I just couldn't imagine walking in her shoes. No. And meanwhile, Jessie found that she had a new identity that everyone refused to look past. She was the sister of the murdered girl. Jessie said, quote, I was never the cool kid in school and was made fun of. I was the geek. Unquote. But suddenly, with the death of her sister everyone it seemed wanted to know her it bothered her because in her mind these kids never cared for her before and that's sad that they're only going to show their care to you after your sister dies which exactly like going back to missy phillips she's probably i'm sure for maybe not now but maybe for the longest time she got blamed for her son killing maddie and she was forever so you know known as that's the woman whose son killed maddie clifton and same thing with jesse 
you know, if she was a geek, she was somebody that kind of blended in with the background. But now everybody's like, that's the dead girl's sister. That's sad. That's yeah. awful. I mean, it's hard enough being in, in high school and having to deal with all that crap. And then only for a bunch of other kids to just be whispering behind your back, oh, well, that's the dead girl's sister. Exactly. The Clifton family handled the grief differently, with Steve, which is Maddie's father, largely shutting down and Sheila wanting to talk about it. Sheila moved into her mother's house in the same neighborhood, allowing her to still be close to her daughter, but away from the Phillips home where Maddie died. She then moved to... McClenny, where she is today, and Steve later moved out of the home. Jesse still lives there and is in the process of buying it from him. To her, it's a home where many fantastic memories were made before 1998. So, the whole family pretty much broke apart. Yeah, they fell apart. And I mean, I couldn't imagine. I know I've seen several cases, and I'm sure everybody has, or read cases where. Something tragic happens, and instead of everybody kind of coming together, they, you know, everybody deals with it, like you said, everybody deals with it differently, and that may not match up with, you know, each other, and they just fall apart, which is, it's really sad. It's tragic, and you don't know if, if, if Steve Clifton you know, blamed Sheila in any way Mm -hmm. for what happened, and I'm sure that Sheila feels guilty in some way, and then you have poor Jessie who's just, it sounds like she just really wants her family to be together in in this entire thing, but doesn't have a choice because it's all falling apart. You have mom who can't be in the house, you have dad who's just completely shut down, and then she's just there, kind of stuck in the middle. I don't know why, but the first thing that comes to my mind is like 13 Reasons Why. You know, how Hannah Baker's mom and dad, after her death, her suicide, they just couldn't, they couldn't get or meet in the middle with how each one of them was handling what had happened. And the mom, you know, her mom was just hell-bent on taken down anybody on those tapes that had any, they were like, if there were any legal implications, mm-hmm. she was hell-bent on taking them down. And after a while, the dad was like, I can't do this anymore. I have to move on. Which ultimately they do. They end up divorcing. And, I, which I know this is, everybody's like, that's not real life. That's Hollywood. That's, that's a Netflix show, Emily. Like, I know. But the fact of the matter is, stuff like that happens in real life, too. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's not as glamorous. No. Or maybe even as dramatic. Sometimes it could just be as simple as the space between you and the bed at night gets bigger. The Instead of eating dinner together, you're eating dinner in two separate parts of the house. The relationship can break down from there. And that's not unusual. No. It's really not. It's... it's- totally normal everybody deals with grief a different way it's just sad to think that in that moment those families end up just falling apart rather than coming together but that's just life life is messy and that's just that josh phillips will be eligible for resentencing again in 2023 so 
he will be almost 40 years old uh, in 2023 and the Florida First District Court of Appeal upholds the life sentence saying it will be reviewed again and could be modified in 2023 based on demonstrated maturity and rehabilitation which where does that sound familiar? Rodney Alcala's case. <laughs> but let's just say this. This he was a kid when he went into prison, you know. Exactly. I don't think the 37-year-old man now has the same maturity level and brain of a 14-year-old that just entered the system in 1998. I mean, and you know, he's he's not learning life like we would. He's no. learning life in prison not life in society so what is there to mature on like pretty much his whole life is just prison he doesn't have anything else to go off of other than being in a family with an abusive dad and a mom who was probably too afraid to leave like that's all he knows in prison and i mean prison does not set you up for the real world in prison you are stripped of your identity you wear the same thing everybody else wears just might have a different number you have breakfast at a certain time if you're in classes or you have a job you have to go to those at a certain time and dinner's at a certain time lights out at a certain time you know there it's a lot of structure and to go from that to all this free reign free time in the real world a lot of people can't handle it they can't just fall back into society it, it takes a lot of work. Josh subsequently appealed to the Supreme Court of Florida, who turned down his request in June of 2020. As is customary, they did not explain their reasons for declining to hear the case. Which, as is customary. Which, I guess, I mean, they don't have to give you a reason, but sure that would help somebody if they were to make another appeal i just think it's crazy to think that this poor kid has went into the prison system and spent his entire life there and that's just that i mean it it ultimately does feel like the system has failed him on some part whether that was his attorney failing him i mean the entire system failing him in some way and, and, you know, again, I'm going back to saying that it's not like he shouldn't have spent some sort of time for doing what he did because it was wrong. Yeah, I agree. But I don't feel like a life sentence really served anybody justice in this situation. I don't think so either. And, I mean, if you go back, his attorney didn't call any witnesses. There was no one on Josh's side. And I, I don't want you guys to get the wrong impression. We're not trying to spearhead a free Josh Phillips campaign. That's not what we're trying to do. But there are instances where a tragic, you know, a tragic situation can be tragic for several reasons. Not just that, you know, an innocent eight-year-old little girl was murdered, but also because you know, a 14-year-old boy who had a rough childhood and upbringing was also lost to the system as well. 
Yeah, I mean, it was... It was bad on everybody's side of this. It was horrible for the Clifton family. It was horrible for the Phillips family. And all in all, it's like a double-edged sword for both families. Right. So tell us what you think. Do you think the system failed? Do you think he got what he deserved? Let us know. Also, moms, what's the worst smelling thing you've ever found in your kid's room? Please don't tell us it's a dead body because that would be terrible. I will lose my mind. Thanks for listening to Two Jane Does. I'm Emily. And I'm Kayla. Remember to tune in every Monday now at 8 p.m. as we dive into a new case. Please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, and leave us a good review. Catch us on Facebook at Two Jane Does, where you can find updates on our episodes and links to our other social media accounts. If you have any cases that you want us to cover and go into detail with, you can leave us a message there.